five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. That was the uh, tasty licks of a uh, blue oyster cult. Burning for you. Wow. A little, uh, it got so hot that the dew self-immolated. Spontaneous combustion, I believe is what it's called. And uh, I, I have decided that burning for you is on dark yacht. It has a dark yacht feel to it, right? And that's blue oyster cult being a better version of Toto, <laughs> to be honest with you, at, at that time in their career. I mean, they were super tight. Uh, as a band, they just kind of knew who they were. You know, they'd come through a lot of the uh, Sturm und Drang of their uh, mid to late 70s kind of boogie sci-fi rock, which is really good. I mean, I, I like that period of Blue Oyster Cult. All those records produced by Sandy Perlman. Some of the songs written by Patti Smith, who I believe wrote uh, Harvester of Eyes. Like, And they would have sci-fi writers, like Penn, I think, was it uh, Harlan Ellison or Theodore Sturgeon, one of those two, would write some of their lyrics. And then they just became this really kick-ass, like, heavy metal band. and. I got into uh, Blue Oyster Cult. So one of one of the one of the things that really ignited my my uh, intense love for music when I was a youth is I think I went to either the Warehouse Records or shit. It might have been the ice skating rink at Eastridge Mall somewhere. I picked up like kind of a, a a trade rag and it was all about like you know what was happening with with rock and roll and at that time and so there was a whole section it was actually now that i think about it it was incredibly well curated because a lot of the bands i was not familiar with so i started to read about these bands i was probably maybe 13 at the time 13 maybe 14 at the most um, I think probably 13. And it's like, oh, wow. The way that they're writing about these groups, they sound really interesting. I think I should listen to their music. And one of the groups was Blue Oyster Cult. And it was like, oh, man, these guys, these guys sound amazing. I mean, just the way it was being written and how they were describing the music. And uh, they had three guitarists, which at that time, not many bands had three guitar players. 
So they would have this kind of buzzing caterwaul of sound with their live performances. Most bands had two guitarists, Max. I think they have three guitarists. Well, I know they have three. Um, Leonard Skinner has three guitarists. And I think the Outlaws have three guitarists. And I'm sure there's more, but those are just the ones that top my head. And um, I, I remember the reviewer saying he liked them because they were all short and Jewish. <laughs> and that uh, Eric Bloom, who is not the singer on that track, but sings a lot of their hit songs, plays something called stun guitar. Which, of course, is just a, a made up name, right? And the singer of, of uh, that track was Don Bup Dharma Rosser. I think that's how you say his last name, R-O-E-S-S-E-R, Rosser, Reeser. So I went out and I bought the, the live record that they were talking about in this little trade rag. And it did not disappoint. On Your Feet or On Your Knees is to this day one of the best live records ever. And I had the I had the A-track cassette and I just listened to that thing over and over and over and over again. And the recording quality on it's really good for a live record. So that that led me to my very first concert with Blue Oyster Cult. And um, I think I was, I think it was 14. And it was at the uh, San Jose Pacific Auditorium. And I think Journey, pre-Steve Perry opened for them, which I really liked. I thought that they were um, really cool, kind of, you know, progressive space rock. But coming at it from an American, you know, perspective, you know, it was kind of driving. And, you know, there were some holdovers from some of the uh, passages that these guys would you know, riff and create for, for Santana because uh, Greg Raleigh and Neil Sean had both come from Santana. So you, you would get this kind of American version of like prog rock, but without a lot of the weird noodling and weird time signature shit, which would bug me with a lot of English prog rock. It'd be like, oh, let's see how cute and fancy, how many time signature changes we can have. It's like, uh, you know, there's clever, and then there's, you know, like the precocious kid, the really precocious kid who you love for about a half an hour, and three hours later you want to take duct tape and wrap it around his mouth. It's, it's kind of, kind of the same thing. So I went to that concert, and I have I have to say I was thinking about this this morning that I was kind of scared shitless at that concert because. It was dark. I mean, the energy was really dark. And I remember looking around at the people and they were kind of like working class, you know, pimply rock and roll kids getting high. I'm like, I'm not really into this to get high. I, I just dig the music. Like, I don't, I don't need to get high. So there was a part of me that was a little freaked out. Um, but that's the danger of rock and roll, right? There, there's always that that temptation that's like coming at you from the periphery. And eventually it got me. It got me, but not at that show. I need some water here. 
All right. So ironically, Blue Oyster Cult was my son's first concert too. Now I played a little bit of a role in that to be fair, because we were listening to uh, Blue Oyster Cult's uh, greatest hits. And um, he was really into Godzilla, the song Godzilla. Of course, we watched all the Godzilla movies. He did Godzilla raps. He was about, I don't know, five, I think. So I took him to the Santa Cruz County Fair in Blue Oyster Cult was playing. And uh, that was his first show. Like father, like son. All right. How is everybody doing? We're going to get into a little uh, Chataria meet and greet. And uh, we're gonna, we'll talk about Trump. I, I guess that's all we're going to be fucking talking about now for the next two years is tr Trump. I watched all the way up until when he announced that he was going to run for president. There was no energy in that room last night. No energy whatsoever. This is going to be, oh God, this is going to be really, really hard to watch on a lot of levels because you have people that are absolutely 100% loyal to the, to the marrow with Trump. Like they're so loyal that he could come out and say how great his vaccine was a dozen times and they know that the shit is poison and that it's killing people and it's going to reduce the population, but they're so loyal that they're able to kind of look over that slight character flaw that he has and embrace you know, the, 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 the bully, the Vox Populi. I said it before, I'll say it again. He was a shitty tyrant. He Donald Trump was a shitty tyrant. He took all the heat and all the flack for being a tyrant. And he was way too fucking nice. Way too nice. America doesn't know what a tyrant really looks like. They like to pretend. They like to put a face of the tyrant on Donald Trump. There are other presidents who are far more tyrannical than Donald Trump ever was. One preceded him. Yeah, the face of tyranny often comes with a mile-wide smile and glib articulation and the ability to read a teleprompter. That's what tyranny often looks like. But if we're talking just raw, unabashed, Naked tyranny, most Americans don't know what that looks like. And if they came face to face with it, they would shit their pants. They would totally shit their pants because they wouldn't have any defense in the face of that tyranny. So they like to they like to play. It's like play theater. And so Donald Trump has become pin the tail, pin the tail of the tyrant. And Rest assured, he is not tyrannical. I don't know what he's going to do. Uh, Donald Trump and Tom Brady are kind of in the same boat. 
they both went through these Saturn oppositions. Trump, for all intents and purposes, should be done. So here, here's my my, and I've and I've said this before. I don't think Trump should have run for president in 2020. I think he should have said, you know what? It's been great serving the American people. You know, I did everything I could. Um, I thought I helped us get through two very tremendous crises. I, I may not have done the best. I, I may not have made all the right decisions, but I did the best that I thought I could do based on what I felt like we needed to do for the country. And in the midst of everything that made my job extremely more difficult, I think it's in the best interest of me and my family and the American people that I do not run for re-election in 2020. That would have just punched a huge hole in the whole Democratic thing. And it'd be like, oh, shit, well, what do we do now? Right? And of course, you would have had Mike Pence. Oh, step right up. Right. But if he had, if he hadn't done that, like if he had done that, we'd have no January 6th. We'd have no lingering hangover of the so-called tyranny of the so-called fascist Trump who couldn't be more user friendly. I mean, Jesus, could, could he have could he have done more for banks and corporations? I mean, that's kind of getting closer to. A more standardized version of fascism but there's people don't know what real tyranny is real tyranny is when there's a knock on your door at three in the morning and then there's a van waiting outside for you and people never see you again that's real tyranny that 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 is real tyranny and it just it puts the it puts real fear in the heart of people where they're just completely unsafe. All these fucking snowflakes that complain about being unsafe under Trump have no clue. No clue. Let them let hang out with uh, Allende in Argentina in the 70s. And you'll understand what tyranny is. In, in a big way, right? Go hang out in Cuba and go speak out against the government. You'll find out what tyranny is really quickly. Go to China. Go to China where they have dress rehearsals for uh, uh, viral doom at least once a day in a major city in China. And if you can't you know, get to a place where you can get your Q code checked, and you could have your test in a relatively rapid period of time, they will pick you up. They will find you, they will pick you up, and they will isolate you. That's real tyranny. People here don't understand that. People have some kind of play fantasy version of, 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 of tyranny that they've set up in their world. It's amazing, actually, how this whole thing has gone down. So Trump really shouldn't have run. That's my, that's my takeaway. Yeah, you know, would we have gotten Pence running for president? Would we have President Pence? Maybe, who knows? But it would have been interesting, right? It would have been, I think, way more. And then no January 6th hangover. And they've just been using January 6th for 
pretty much everything, the tar and feather, anybody that has an original or independent point of view. So just like Tom Brady, who at the Saturn opposition chose to continue to play football versus stop. And I knew this. I knew this when Trump was running for president. I'm looking at his chart and saying, you got the Saturn opposition, dude. This is hard. This is at 74. You're supposed to retire. You're supposed to retire. And if somehow, some way, um, you're going to be reelected as president, you're going to have to become a different kind of president. Like whatever you didn't do before, you got to do now. And if I'm not mistaken, that was Saturn and Capricorn, which was ultimately being more of a um, sort of corporate leader, right? Because that's what Capricorn does. And by the way, his son-in-law, Jared Kushner, is a Capricorn. So there's some interesting energy transference there as well. But we're going to get Trump for another two years. That's the you know, Mars retrograding across the sun. I don't think it's the best thing. Tom Brady, on the other hand, at 44, should have hung up his cleats. Probably the deal that he had with Giselle. And he went back on his deal. He said, oh, I just need one more. Just one more. I can't let the guys down. I got all these contractual obligations. Well, they're split. She left him. They're divorced. And apparently, I have heard that Tom Brady had a significant amount of money in the FTX exchange. Like he was, I wouldn't say he was hiding his money, but let's, let's just say he was diversifying his money. So now Tom Brady not only has lost his supermodel wife who went on vacation to Costa Rica with their Brazilian jiu-jitsu uh, instructor and her kids, right? It's a little family vacay. Except instead of Tom, it was her BJJ guy, right? Bad year for Tom Brady. See, this is why astrology matters, especially when you have really significant Saturn transits. You know, you have to you have to take stock of where you are. And if you don't take stock of where you are, you're gonna miss cycles. And timing. So I think Trump is out of time. And I don't mean that he's out of time in terms of like he's got an expiration date, but he's out of out of sync and out of time with his chart and his life. And do you really think that his and, be, and let's be clear, there are people that are all kind of working on the same thing and they be they may be part of different gangs but they're all kind of working on the same thing but trump has enemies you know he has mars on his ascendant and people that have mars and they're especially in leo will be provocative and they'll have enemies he has enemies and there are people that never want to see donald trump run for office again and they will do everything in their power over the next two years in order to do that including creating a fractious split within the party itself. So this is, you know, and we started off with Trump being the great disruptor. And 
that's exactly what he did. And then what happened synonymously with the great eclipse, which crossed from Oregon to Florida, cut the country in half, Donald Trump became the most polarizing president in American history. I don't think there's a more polarizing president. Even Nixon wasn't as polarizing. Like, nobody really liked Nixon. And even the, the starchy uh, conservatives, paleoconservatives, whatever, they were, they didn't even really like Nixon. So Nixon wasn't all that polarizing because there are people who were absolutely loyal and devoted to Trump. And there are people that, you know, want to cut his testicles off and hang him from the town square. I mean, that's really how polarized. So I don't think I've ever seen a president more polar. And that's what he did. He, he And when you polarize something, it's not always a bad thing. I mean, sometimes polarization can be a good thing because you can now more clearly see through contrast what's going on with a particular situation. So it's not always a bad thing. But with Trump now, it's going to get fractal. And so it started between him and the media, you know, fake news and real information, right? Kind of started there. But then because the social engineers got involved and he just happened to be white, they decided to pile on the um, the whole so social justice um, warrior plan and, um, and invest heavily in critical race theory and use Trump as a symbol of being uh, a racist. And that, of course, created more polarity. And that was a strategy. You know, they were going to use this very unpopular figure to become an effigy, which is really what he became. He became an effigy. And in the summer of 2020, when the burning of America took place, we were never more polarized as a nation. So now we're going to see that polarization go into fractal levels. You know, MAGA versus GOP, Trump versus DeSantis, right? Though now it's not just, you know, the, you know, the, the conservative right versus the loony left like the fractal layers are going to start to emerge. And I don't know how many fractalizations this country can take. You know, fractions, factions, I think ultimately it will grind away um, at people and their spirits. Because, and, and I'm not here to uh, promote you know, you know, peace at any cost or go along to get along. That's the furthest from the idea of being in pursuit of truth and in pursuit of true authenticity, right? That's not the strategy. But on the other hand, people's ability to psychically and emotionally and spiritually hold all that goes along with the current struggle that we're in, it can be overwhelming, absolutely overwhelming. 
like it's relentless. There's, it's just nonstop. Like the grind is nonstop. And you you throw in what happened in Arizona with with Carrie Lake and the vote, and with a lot of other uh, elections that took place here in 2022. And it's just it's just more burden for people to take. You know, I read this thing last night, and it's absolutely true. Whenever there's a close, really close election, the Democrats always win. It's never a fucking Republican. Oh, look, in the final moments, with the final batch of mail-in ballots that came in, the Republican incumbent retained their seat. It never happens that way. It's always the fucking Democrats that benefit from the late vote, the late tally, and the mail-in ballots. Gee, I wonder why, right? It's like, come on, throw us a bone every now and then. At least make it make it look like the other side gets a little something. All right, let's uh, let's do a little Trump science. Let's get into uh, Chataria, and uh, you know, I I had this realization that um, I have not been well. And it's not been anything like, oh, man, I got to go to the hospital or anything like that. But I just, I realized that I'd been kind of on the edge of, like, getting really sick. Like, cold flu type shit sick for a long time. Like, I... Maybe maybe a couple months, maybe a month. And uh, one of the things that I decided to really go after is my sleep cycle. Like I'm really working on changing my sleep cycle in a big way. This is my, this is how I, I know it's a strange discipline because for a lot of people going to bed 30, 10 o'clock at night, it's, you know, just part of the normal routine for me. No. I've always been 1230, 1, sometimes 2 a.m., right? So I'm, I'm doing my best to kind of rewire my clock so I can have a theoretically more quality sleep. So why am I here and talking about it? Well, last night, the gummies did their trick. I slept from 9.30 to... Let's see what time did I get up? 5.30, six hours. So, and, you know, I mean, I think it's probably a pretty good six hours sleep. But to be able to actually go to sleep at 9.30, um, that's a whole other, like, revelation. So Chris has gummies in. They're, they're, they're powerful. They're spicy. Get them while you can. Um, there are some other tinctures that if you feel more comfortable with just a tincture, uh, I think, I'm, I'm not sure what the number is. Is it 81? Anyway, he'll tell you. And you can you can use the tincture instead of the gummies and it will help you with sleep. And of course, the moon dust, which I missed this morning in my coffee, uh, that's kind of the opposite effect. The moon dust perks you up, gets you going. So here we are, truehempscience.com. Uh, forward slash ref forward slash 23. 
And uh, if you go there and use the code word 15MINS, you'll get free product on top of a $100 order and 150 and more get your free shipping. So it's worth your time. It's worth your money. And as Alex Jones says, it's a 360 win for all of us. All right. Let's, uh, let's say a little howdy, howdy to Chatari. I went to the country store this morning. It's a lovely country store. I made a little country store movie. All right. I'm a little late here. Uh, Janine, congratulations, Frank. Oh, is, is, uh, is our, is our guy Frank here from, uh, um, the truth hunter? Is he here? That's George. My bad. Okay. Who's Frank? Quite frankly. Uh, let's see. Wendy says is here. CC Jones is here. Hey, Frank, I don't know what's going on, but congratulations. Susie, the sea goddess. What's happening? She's here. There's Ryan. The, uh, the war he's Ryan is the leader of the introspective woodworkers union of the world. He's a man of power and influence. Glad you're here, Ryan. Sony's here. What's going on, Christine? Frank, there's a lot of love in here. All I can say is I'm with these people, and I don't know what they're giving you uh, props for, but I'm right there with them. Uh, Queen Lisa, I would give a big group hug with Wendy in the middle. Oh, you guys are great. You're totally great. Here's my man, Steve. What's going on, Steve? Good morning. Some early thoughts. Binance is in a heap of trouble. So is crypto.com. We'll get into some of that today. Pam Jerome's here. What's going on, Pam? Greetings from the mitten state where winter is starting to ascend. Oh, you get into your Game of Thrones season up there. Let's see. Who else do we have? King Pat is rocking the Cairo. Tending to his needy patients. I, I, you know, I could use some chiropractic. Do you guys, you, too bad you guys aren't closer. Uh, let's see. Who else? We Digital Amish. Wendy, you are amazing. Thank you for sharing Rachel's tango video. She is beautiful and talented. Appreciate you sharing her dance with us. Yeah, that was really good. She was, she was a, she had nice style and lines, and, you know, all that, that, that crisp kind of, internalized tango passion well done uh my high school steady was a short shortish jewish fella i'm nearly six feet most of his family was 410 it was strange to hang out with his people <laughs> what is this shiksa you bring us this shiksa Can't you bring us home a nice Jewish girl? Uh, let's see. Yes, duct tape the great equalizer. Who else do we have here today? 
PMSO Janine says, I like Blue Oyster Cult too. I had the A-Track Ages of Fortune, ACDC, Back in Black, and the Eagles. I played those so much in my boyfriend's cars that he had A-Track tape inside crumbled. He got a lot of use out of those tapes. I could not watch so over it. There was no energy there at all, Fran. Two years of hell. It's here. Right. It's here. We're going to get two years of hell. The schism between people who used to support Trump and people who still do will be painful. I'm telling you, it is not going to be fun to watch. Right. It's it's another layer of this fractalization. And it's just like, you know, and that's even part of the strategy, too. You just tire people out and they're like, OK, I give up. I give up. We'll vote. We'll vote for the shiny new guy from Florida. He seems so nice. Is he running to avoid arrest or something? That's a rumor, Fran. I've heard that. We talked about this morning. Morning all, it's officially increased the Republican division. No doubt. It's there. Uh, let's see. Mm-mm. I think Biden is dead. I don't know who this guy is. And Kamala, I said this on Twitter yesterday. Kamala will be president um, in February. She'll be made president in February. But I don't know how long she will be president. She will. She may not even, it may be for a day. Honestly, because the the goal is to get Nancy Pelosi into the presidency because she's going to lose more than likely um, the uh, Speaker of the Senate, right? Or Speaker of the House. I think she's going to lose it. Anyway, um, so they they want it. ultimately the idea is to get Gavin Newsom into the White House. That is the plan. And how they do that from here, I think, is about two or three chess chess moves, from Harris to Pelosi to Newsom. But Harris, one of the hangups with Harris is the potential illegality of her presidency. She, she's she's sketchy, right? Neither of her parents are born in this country. Her father is from Jamaica. Her mother is from India. And her mother had her here like an like an anchor as an anchor, as an anchor baby. And then I think she was raised in Canada, came back to the states. I mean, I'm a little unclear um, about that part. And I, I I know she went to Berkeley. She got her law degree from Berkeley, but I think I think uh, Kamala is kind of on shaky ground. Like there may be something to this whole citizenship thing, which might just pop up. And, oh, sorry, we realize that you can't. Like officially, she's named president. She's the first female black president and then through 
some weird machination, right? She could no longer be president. And they've already filled the vice presidential role. This is what will happen. And I think that they'll name Gavin Newsom to be vice president. Like he'll step away from California. So then what will happen to Kamala? Well, she can't become vice president so because that's filled up. So Kamala will have to resign, which means that Nancy Pelosi will become president. Now, this all has to happen relatively soon. And I think that's the plan. I think I think that is the plan because when is this all like flip again in January when everybody gets sworn in? Saturn won't quite be at uh, the same degree as Harris is Saturn, which is 28 Aquarius. That doesn't happen until uh, February 19th. But the orb is pretty close. Uh, let's see. What else we have here? Catherine Kramer's here. What's going on, Double K? K2. Good to see you. Did I say hi to Miss Nakia? If I didn't, there's my hi. Hello. They're going to walk in your home and remove all of your food. I wouldn't, I wouldn't doubt it. This generation, let's meet in Starbucks, use the free Wi-Fi on our computers, complain about tyranny and bash capitalism. I think there's some truth to that. Uh, let's see, who else do we have? Susie being very active on the chat today. Hey, there's Tamara. What's going on, Scrubbies? Good to see you. I think we're pretty much caught up here, right? Oh, there's Bo. Hey, what's going on, Bo? Look at Bo. Try it and find out what happens. I love it. We've been steeped in soft tyranny and government overreach for a very long time. No one even recognizes it as such. I agree. It is, it is soft tyranny. Absolutely. That's the most effective form of tyranny, isn't it? One that narcoticizes you. A somnambulistic state of obedience. Let's see. Are we all caught up here? I think everybody's here. You guys are so smart. This is funny. Christine says, my mom demanded I report my car mileage to AAA so she can get a discount. I never reported my mileage ever, not in 20 years. It's none of their business, but mom wants that discount. Is your mother, my mother is born with uh, Pluto and cancer. That's a very buck conscious generation. Trust me. Uh, let's see. Digital Amish in the house. Love it. 
archaics claims there will be a long stretch of peace and calm, and then the trap will be set. We definitely aren't there yet. Laugh out loud. Did, did he make that proclamation from his brand new motorcycle? You do need to get some moon dust, Jelena. Let's see. Frank, it's Frank Bride. That's who Frank is. Hi, Frank. Liberté, any update from Leon Luis? You should ask Tom. They're pen pals. Lori Powers. Hi, Lori. Two more years of constant winning. Oh, that is funny. That is really funny. Katie Hobbs has an NPR accent. I had the darkest thought this morning. I'm capable of extremely dark thoughts. I shared this with Joan. I said, you know what they should do? They should take Katie Hobbs and pluck one fingernail with a set of pliers off of her cuticle at a time until she starts talking. And I said, it'd only take one, one fingernail, which I think is true. I mean, at some point, right? At some point, the only thing that these forces for lack of a better term, that want to completely impinge upon our daily existence, whether it's privacy or speech, or to live in a country that's reasonably well-managed. The only, or a state, or a city, or a county that's reasonably well-managed, the only thing that the forces of absolute and utter chaos and decline respect is power. The only thing they respect is power. That's it. They don't respect cordiality. They don't respect good manners. They don't respect fair play. The only thing that they respect is power because they also fear power. And in order to get their respect, there needs to be outward displays of real power. And sometimes those are not pretty. You know, I, I said that this is the season of pitchforks and torches, and I'm just wondering how long it's going to be before people have had enough. Like what more, what, what it's rhetorical. And I know that people have been eating a survival bucket full of shit for quite a long time now, but it seems like we're getting close to this kind of critical mass. And, and I, I think people are going to snap at some point they're going to snap. And of course the system is counting on that 100%. Like they are counting on people snapping. Now, can people have a vigorous response to our situation without snapping? Yes, but most people don't even understand what that looks like or 
um, how to even implement it. We're babes in the woods when it comes to stuff like that. All right. I'm going to try to find some of the Trumpster. And uh, let's do the live stream. Let's just try to get a little taste of the energy. Oh, God, it was not good. Not good. Not good energy. Uh, Let's see. How long is this one? Okay, here we go. Mar-a-Lago looking a little uh, Tartarian-esque here on the inside. This story of buying Mar-a-Lago is classic. Classic Trump. All right. Here we go. uh, And then we're going to get into a little bit of the uh, FTX stuff, which there seems to be more and more meltdowns happening. Coindesk or um, crypto.com. We'll get into it. All right, here we go. So isn't that Laura Loomer? I think this, this gal here in the green is Laura Loomer, if I'm not mistaken. See if I can find her I think that might be Laura Loomer, although I could be wrong. It looks like her. Ah, the fanfare. Gentlemen, please welcome the next president and first lady of the United States of America, President Donald J. Trump. Accompanied by Mrs. Melania Trump. And I'm proud to be an American. Oh, God. He's playing that fucking Lee Greenwood drivel. <laughs> it's just so ironic that Lee Greenwood is a Nashville handler. Then he came up with this song. And so every time they use, they play this song, it's like the bell of the, of the uh, Nashville handler. What is this thing here? This looks like like kind of a free-floating Jesus right here. Is that part, somewhere part of the background or something? Like this looks the same, looks the same. This definitely looks different. All right, let's keep going. Not a lot of diversity there. But, oh, there's a brother. Uh, Trump rallies always have the best blondes. They pack the blondes in there. Oh, here we go. You and all of those watching are the heart and soul of this incredible movement, the greatest country in the history of the world. It's very simple. There has never been anything like it, this great movement of ours. 
never been anything like it, and perhaps there will never be anything like it again. There's never been anything to compete with what we have all done. Ladies and gentlemen, distinguished guests, and my fellow citizens, America's comeback starts right now. Two years ago, when I left office, the United States stood... So he's going to go over all of his fucking great accomplishments. Right. Here we go. There's, there's no energy in that room. There's no energy. Thank you very much. Thank you, thank you. Thank you very much. Under our leadership, we were a great and glorious nation, something you haven't heard for quite a long period of time. We were a strong nation, and importantly, we were a free nation. But now we are a nation in decline. We are a failing nation. For millions of Americans, the past two years under Joe Biden have been a time of pain, hardship, anxiety, and despair. As we speak, inflation is the highest in over 50 years. Gas prices have reached the highest levels in history and expect them to go much higher. Well, he's right. Once the midterms are over, gas prices are going to go back up again. You can count on that. Country where we lost lives, left Americans behind. I mean, we look, he basically is just hitting the checklist. And everything that Biden has done has been just incredibly indefensible. And this is one of the things that I think makes it hard for your average American who wants to believe in the ship of state and having a fair and just life. And every single day, you know, they're, they're basically paddling upstream, you know, with this version of the globalist estate, right? And Trump has got his own version of it. Don't, don't think he doesn't, you know, when he was president, he put BlackRock right in between the Fed and the Treasury. And a lot of people don't talk about that. At that point, BlackRock became a financial advisor for the United States of America. And that was on Trump's watch. And everybody thought, oh, he's doing a fast one. He's undermining uh, the Federal Reserve and he's giving more power back to the Treasury. No, what he was doing was he was putting Larry Fink right in the center of them so that he could watch and control the flow of dollars going from the Fed to the Treasury, what the Treasury is going to do with it, and what the expectations of the government would be once private corporations got money from the Treasury, which really was like, okay, well, now the government is a shareholder, stakeholder in private capital. It's exactly why Larry Fink was brought in. Why BlackRock was that was on his that was on his watch, right? So don't think that he doesn't have a globalist side to him. He totally does. You know, when he went to Saudi Arabia and sold all those weapons, right? I mean, he and Jared were playing the role of global arms merchants so they could continue their war 
with Yemen and, you know, kill and maim children, right? I mean, there's a very dark side here. Now, I will counterbalance it by saying that I do believe that Trump has a love for this country. I don't think that is an act. I think he loves the United States. You know, you can see it in his Cancerian stellium with Mercury, Venus, and Saturn, Cancer being, you know, uh, the sign of the United States. So he actually loves the United States. I don't think he's lying. But to pretend that he didn't have some of this on his own watch would be completely disingenuous. And he set some of this up, especially with BlackRock. $185 billion worth of the finest military equipment. Let's talk about Afghanistan. Anyway. The decline of America is being forced upon us by Biden and the radical left lunatics running our government right into the ground. This decline is not a fate we must accept. When given the choice, boldly, clearly, and directly, I believe the American people will overwhelmingly reject the left's platform of national ruin, and they will embrace our platform of national greatness and glory to America. Well, okay. So what if you're hearing that for the first time? If you're hearing that for the first time, that's fucking exciting, right? It's like, wow, that's great. Finally, somebody's saying this shit, but he's already said it. And he had four years to anchor the plan. And now he's kind of, you know, Mars retrograde. Let's run it back again. And it doesn't have the same oomph, right? It's just, even with all the receipts on the table with Biden, which are horrible, and they're horrible for a reason. They have, they have no desire to um, embolden consumer spending or, um, you know, get gasoline at around 250 a gallon and open up, you know, more potential sources of, of petroleum energy in this country. Like, they're done with that shit. So they're showing you that there's no going back. There, there's no going back. They're, they've just, so, hey, look, this shit's over, right? So now Trump comes around and he's saying all the right things again, but we've heard all those things before. If he's gonna, if he's gonna do like a hard broadside, he's gonna have to change the script. Now, that was a very studied and steady speech. He had probably rehearsed that. That was not Trump off the cuff, who I think is very funny and a lot of times more effective. But every now and then he can, he can deliver a pretty good speech. I remember at one of the State of the Unions, I think it might have been the one that Rush Limbaugh was out. He was actually really good. I mean, he sounded presidential. The whole thing had kind of a presidential air about it even though the dipshit behind him was making faces all night drunk as a skunk and then started to tear up his speech behind him. Like how did he, how did Trump 
like reconcile that. I mean, this is a guy that turned on Candace Owens for merely questioning his stance on the vaccines. He turned on Candace Owens and started to badmouth her. He stopped that pretty quickly. Trump's going to have to figure some stuff out here that he just can't be a bull in a china shop and demand loyalty just because he's Trump and MAGA and it's a brand. It doesn't it doesn't work that way. Not now. There was a time where that worked and there was a lot of goodwill. And a lot of that goodwill has been damaged. And for a lot of people, it has to do with the vaccine. And they're going to have to be won back. You have to win. You have to win us back. So he may not think that he has anything to prove, but he has a lot to prove. And if he's going to make a dent in whatever regime this is, he's going to come. Out, he's going to have to come up with different talking points. He's going to. He's going to have to come up with a real plan to figure out how to economically do something drastically and radically different. And if, and if that plan includes the circumvention of the uh, federal reserve, they'll kill him. They'll kill him before they allow him to do that. But the thing about Trump is the th thing that's always fascinating about Trump is that there is part of him that is really disruptive, right? Like his rhetoric is disruptive. His um, willingness to be frank is disruptive. But he does he not use like disruptive technologies. Twitter was a disruptive technology, but he kind of stumbled onto that in, in, you know, in his own way, right? was very disruptive, but he's not really into disrupt. Trump loves box lot stores. He loves box lot stores. He loves big, beautiful corporations because he believes that they're the entities that are the most well-equipped to do business in the world. So he loves like Home Depot or he loves he'll even love Amazon, right? Because those are the heavyweights of American industry. And they're not always disruptive. Home Depot's not disruptive. Amazon, maybe, right? But if we're, if, if we're going to play this game and he's going to do this thing again, he's going to have to radically change his talking points. I mean, radically changes talk. He's going to have to come up with about a 12-point plan that is going to be very different than what he's done before because it's easy now to go over all the just egregious missteps and errors that this current administration is making on purpose. You and I could do that. My other issue with Trump is the people around him. Who would want to work with him? It, you know, when he went into office last time, I mean, he basically, you know, said, let me, let me hang out with the swamp monsters. Those were all swamp monsters.
that he had around him. Only a few were not. And the one that he that wasn't a swamp monster, Steve Bannon, got kicked out by his fucking son-in-law. Jeff Sessions theoretically wasn't a swamp monster, but he was just completely um, castrated, recused himself. Like, what the fuck good are you? At that point, Trump should have wasted no time and fired him. You're recusing yourself from this really important case. Sorry, you got to go. And Sessions have been like really popular up to that point. And then he just, you know, surrounded himself with all these swamp monsters. You know, if this guy is going to become president again, it's like, who's going to work with him? That's the other part. Because for some people, um, and we could just play this out, right? For some people, aligning themselves and hitching their wagons to Trump is political suicide. And if he doesn't win, like, do you really want that on your resume right and they've already impeached this guy three times if he got elected again do you think it would stop they'd go after him again so i you know i don't know what more to say um about that experience last night i think you probably could have waited if he talked to me as an astrologer i would have said wait till mars is moving forward and hits your son versus moving retrograde and going backwards, right? You may want to think about that. All right, let's talk, let's talk some FTX. This fucking shit storm. Uh, the, the gift, the grift that keeps on grifting So this thing is uh, a Depression-era level of calamity because the same, the same like red flags are out there. So when people heard about what was going on in FTX, they were doing everything in their power to get their funds out two to three weeks ago until there was nothing there. You couldn't get anything out. Well, now we have this new thing with Genesis Crypto. The lending unit is halting customers. The lending unit, they're lending you money to buy fucking crypto. I mean, this is this is like buying on margin. People never learn. The unit known as Genesis Global Capital serves as an institutional client base. It had a 2.8 billion in total active loans as the end of third quarter 2022. The leading arm of crypto investment bank Genesis Global Trading is temporarily suspending redemptions and new loan originations in the wake of FTX's collapse. Interim CEO. Darar Islam told customers on a call Wednesday, the unit known as Global Genesis Global Capital serves as an institutional client base and a 2.8 billion in total active loans as of the end of the third quarter in 2022, according to the company's website. Uh, so they got over leveraged. 
Today, Genesis Global Capital, Genesis leading business, made the difficult decision to temporarily suspend redemptions and new loan originations. The decision was made in response to the extreme market dislocation and loss of industry confidence caused by the FTX explosion. This decision impacts the lending business of Genesis and does not affect Genesis trading or custody businesses. So this is kind of a big deal. The announcement was noted by Gemini, the crypto exchange and custodian, and as a partnership with Genesis. Our old pal Gemini and Mars Retrograde. We're working with the Genesis team to help customers redeem their funds from the EARN program as quickly as possible, Gemini said in the statement. We're disappointed that the EARN program service agreement will not be met, but we're encouraged by Genesis and its parent company, the Digital Currency Group, and their commitment to doing everything in their power to fulfill their obligations to customers under the EARN program. Genesis suffered major losses earlier this year due to the failure of hedge fund Three Arrows Capital. So we have another um, casualty here in the wake of FTX. So there, there's that, right? And there's there's plenty of more. There's plenty more stories. Um, Crypto.com. Yeah, so now Genesis, this is this is now Genesis Global Capital is halting hold, uh, halting all withdrawals as well. So you can't get your money out now. Wow. What else do we have here? Let me see if I can find the uh, crypto.com post. So there's another, um, I guess this is crypto.com's own coin called Kronos. Interesting name, down 19.2%. And it keeps going down. Interesting. So here, here's a, a few comments here. Uh, it's not collapsing. Crypto.com overinflated the price of their own of their CRO legally. There's some evidence of their pump if you search it. CRO is just whatever. Um, I mean, this is all reminiscent of the Great Depression, and your people are just not going to be able to get out. You know the exits are the exits are closing here. Let me see if I can find another one. So apparently, Sam Bankman, who is still running around, 
they had supplied the money for the failed ivermectin research. Can you believe that shit? So they actually took some of that money from the FTX vaults and used it to fund research that would make ivermectin look like it was uh, ineffective in treating COVID. True story. Absolute true story. All right. I'm trying to find, uh, there's this one video of Bankman. Let me see if I can find it. Who's, who's that guy with um, oh, Chuck Todd? got to see this video. God, they love this guy. They love this Bankman character. So I can find it here. I think, I think, yeah, I think this is it. All right. This is one of those interviews where uh, the visual is the thing that you need to pay attention to. Watch, basically watch what Sam Bankman is doing here in this. Uh, this is, so this is Chuck Todd. Meet and joining me now is Sam Bankman-Fried. He's the CEO of the cryptocurrency exchange FTX. You may have seen their TV ads occasionally and one of America's youngest billionaires. And recently he's used that money to become one of the biggest donors in this year's midterm elections. Sam, nice to see you. Thanks for coming in. Of course. So let me start. You're the fourth, you may not know this, but you know it now. You're the fourth largest individual donor, essentially, to the midterms for this cycle. You are on a list that includes George Soros, Ken Griffin, Richard Uline, Peter Thiel, just below you. Why did you decide it was politics and not something more charitable to throw, spend your money on? It's a good question. And, you know, to be clear, we have also given, I think, upwards of $100 million this year. To I'm not saying you're not charitable, but, right? But, but, but you've but chosen to engage this, Right, exactly. Yeah. And I think that what it really goes down to is two things. And the first is that policy really matters, right? I think COVID is one of the clearest examples of this, where we did not, as a country or as a world, frankly, have a coherent response. More globalist bullshit. You guys see what he does with uh, his You've spent left your money hand. a little bit differently in politics than others have. Um, didn't go well in Oregon. What did you yeah. learn and how are you adapting? Because you strike me as somebody, you try something, you look at how it works. Okay, let me try this this way. Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. And, you know, part of this is, look, you know, stuff happens. You know, I, you know do you think you spent too much money there in hindsight? Yeah, I think it's probably right. And, and when you say, so there's a point of saturation that you've learned. Yeah, that's right. This, as a Democrats versus Republicans thing, where my core goal is a you know boosting a, a, a party mm -hmm. i view this as having constructive people whatever party they're part of there are gonna be some people to watch this and say rich guy's got his own agenda here he's you know it's really funny sometimes i'll read these articles 
Okay, so I'm actually but looking for something. I think it's probably true, and, and frankly, I think that there's there, like there there's a part of the interview where he takes his left hand, and I swear to God, I think it should, should be. Yeah, I have a lot of sympathy for thoughts of he is over he's tugging, he's tugging off. Let me see if I can let me see if I can find it. I may have to come back to this, but there is a part of this interview. I'll try and find it for tomorrow. Anyway, you can see here more softball questions, more setting himself up um, or setting him up as this great philanthropist, right? Because isn't that the role George Soros plays? Like they're, they're trying to make him out to be kind of a, a modern version of Soros. Well, the whole thing is going to hell in a handbasket. And he was a front. He was a total front. And it's always like the feel-good story. Oh, we're just going to invest in things that feel really good, you know, things that inspire us. Well, those were all, all, all those things were basically, you know, pretty left to center, you know, policies and programs. It's like, really? Why the fuck are you spending all this money on this? You know, I mean, it it, it all really trickles down from a script, right? This is all script-based, script-related. And that's this, this, he's, he's out there peddling the feel good, right? Because you're going to feel good while you're getting fucked in the ass and you're going to wake up and there's nothing left in this exchange that he and his batshit crazy girlfriend were the fronts for. And she was running the Alameda side of things. And so what he did, Alameda being like the, you know, the financial group that was separate from FTX, he just started moving all his money over to the Alameda side, created a backdoor into the FTX platform. So the so it would not reflect when assets were being moved out of the exchange. That is how devious and that is how, um, you know, fueled by malintent that Sam Bankman was. He was essentially keeping two sets of books, maybe even more. I mean, that's not uncommon for businesses. California, all the states have multiple sets of books. But that's what he was doing. And then, oh, well, where did it go? Well, it went over here to the Alameda Group. Well, then what happened? Well, gee, we really don't know. It got dispersed through the DNC. It got dispersed through all these other charitable contributions that we made, right? That's all slush money. It's exactly what it is. And this whole thing with Ukraine is significant because Ukraine was a main part of it, right? They were sending all this money over to Ukraine. Oh, by the way, once FTX got shut down, now, of course, the Biden administration wants to send $32 more billion over to Ukraine. What the, what the fuck did they use the money for? I mean, seriously, what do they use the money for? Well, they, they're not using it for whatever said purpose, buy arms, you know, have, you know, warm and snug, uh, uniforms for their 
fighting forces during the cold winter months. No, that money's being laundered. It's being laundered. It's coming back into the U.S. through this crypto exchange. So it could go to all these you know, various entities, many of whom were engaged in stealing the vote. Sorry, this is how it works. That's where they got their scratch in order to do all this. So essentially, what Americans were doing by cosign, they didn't cosign. It's like, oh, we just need this money for Ukraine. A large, major, a large percentage of that came back through the back door with FTX, and then they just started lending. Not even lending, like like charity, right? Here you go. Here's some charity. Thirty million dollars. That's how much, you know, that fuzzball donated to the Democratic Party. $30 million. Those are your tax dollars, by the way. And, of course, the commingling of some of these other dollars that the uh, people in the exchange. But it's really hard to tell, like, where that money um, started and ended because it's commingling with all these different money sources. So it must've just been on a constant drain cycle. If you think about it, you know, it reminds me of this guy that I, that I knew a long time ago. He was a very interesting character. He was a waiter at this restaurant that I worked at in um, Seattle. And he, you know, he would tell me the craziest stories. And as, as a guy, I mean, he was like, he wasn't really anything to look at. I mean, I was, you know, I mean, as far as dudes go, he wasn't bad looking. He was kind of nerdy looking. And he would tell me all these crazy fucking sex stories about what, you know, like there was this one time where he was at this wedding. And I think he was, I think he was married. And, and then he said, uh, oh yeah, man, it was at this, it was at this golf course. And there was a wedding and the reception was there. And, and I connected with this black chick. And the next thing I know, you know, we're like over on the 15th hole. And we're just banging away. I don't know if he got caught or anything. But he, he was telling me all these like wild stories. Anyway, it all started for him, like the high strange. But he was in, he was in um, junior high school junior high school his father was an insurance salesman and his father um would sell insurance policies but he wouldn't turn them in to the insurance company he just keep the money and if somebody had a claim he would just pay for pay the claim right and then something happened where he didn't have enough money to cover a claim and that's when the whole thing started to just fall apart. And he, he told me that um, like they had to leave town in the middle of the night and send him on this kind of weird, like spiral in, in his life. But this is exactly what FTX was doing. They were, they were like an insurance company that somebody in the middle was taking your monthly payment and it wasn't going into like the general account. So that ultimately, you know, if you had a claim, you'd get paid for that claim. 
this is what they were doing. They were just taking the money and looked like on their ledger sheet that everything was, was cool. Right. Anyway, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to try to get into more of this tomorrow. I wanted to cover a little bit of the Trump thing because it was, um, front and center. So let me see if I can leave you with some feel good. Oh, I got other stories here too. Oh yeah. Here's another one right here. Maybe we'll get into this one tomorrow. We'll tease it for today. Check this one out. Mitch McConnell. He's got his fingerprints on FTX. Mitch McConnell busted taking Zelensky's stolen FTX money, according to new FEC docs. According to new FEC docs, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell grabbed large sums of money from FTX, quietly pocketed it. According to the documents, someone from FTX, a crypto business that failed last week, donated $2.5 million to McConnell's Senate Leadership Fund. The LibertyDaily.com reports the money goes from taxpayers is sent as aid to Ukraine, which gives a good chunk of the longer money to FTX. So this is the... This is the formula, which contributes to the Uniparty Swamp. This prompts the Uniparty Swamp to repeat the process, as we've seen over the past several months. It's working wonders. Corporate media barely reports on all the money getting laundered there on a weekly basis. No Democrats and very few Republican politicians bring up the issue. Nearly everyone is on the take. McConnell is the top recipient we found so far. So there you go. McConnell's got his grubby hands, grubby little hands in the till with FTX. So this cuts across both parties. This is just a big grift and graft. And the residual effects of this are still yet to be felt, right? Because there were people that had Assets tied up into FDX, like even the the, the, the Genesis the, and consumer uh, trust in the whole crypto market is just going to plummet. And so you're going to have people pulling out of these exchanges. By the way, if you have your money on the exchange, get it off there, put it on um, a cold drive, right? Like keep it off the exchange. This is something that Misaki and I went through months ago when we were talking about like the, the pitfalls of crypto and how you want, don't want to be caught in a situation like this. Right. So the, the only other part though, is even if you had your crypto on your cold fusion, right. If there's no money in the exchange, like you know where where are you going to um translate the value for for those tokens i'll talk to masaki about that i'll have some more information on that tomorrow all right i'm out of here thanks for being here um use your head in order to discern what's real your heart to say what's possible
Um, I think that's it for today. We're still working on a guest for Friday. And uh, tomorrow we'll uh, we'll jump back down into the FTX barrel of monkeys. Until then, bye for now.